Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Do you have a Bible this morning? Let's go to the book of Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 1. And it will take us a few minutes to get there, but if we get there eventually, we will. And while you're opening your Bible and getting settled, we welcome all of you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you are visiting with this church family today, as I am, we especially welcome you. And we hope that you'll have occasion to come and be with this good church again. We hope you can do that soon and do that often. It is wonderful to be with you today. I have been with this congregation at least three times in the past and have always enjoyed it immensely. You all are so very hospitable. You always make me feel so very welcome among you. And for that, I am most grateful and glad to get to be with you again today. Appreciate this church an awful, awful lot. And I appreciate, of course, the opportunity to be with be with people who are special here. I always love getting to be with Leon and Alma. Leon was a friend of my father's in California all those years ago, and I have counted it a tremendous privilege to get to be in this church with him and visit with him. Leon is just uh, one of those legendary Texas preachers that is known everywhere and appreciated and loved by all, and I am honored to be in his, uh, with his congregation this week. And also Drew, glad to get to meet him. This is new for me, and so I'm glad to get to cross paths with him and appreciate the good things I hear about his good work with you. And I appreciate the invitation of your shepherds to come and to be with you again and to share this time with you. I want to mention a couple of things to you real quickly. I want to tell you that in the morning sessions, we're going to be talking about profiles and good works, and we're going to talk about three individuals, and we will talk about them hopefully through fresh eyes, maybe in ways that we've not considered before. One, We're going to talk about James, the brother of Jesus, and we're going to talk about how he forged a way to make a place in the kingdom of God that was formidable and how we can do the same and follow his example. I think that's an important lesson. We're going to talk about Paul and Philemon and Onesimus, that little book of Philemon that so often is overlooked and not considered and yet teaches us great lessons about how we can serve in the kingdom of God. And then finally, we want to talk about a very famous biblical character, and that is Barnabas. But we want to talk about Barnabas in a way perhaps that we've not considered. We want to look at the ways, the times that he pops up in Scripture and the particular areas in which he was an encouragement to others and see what we can learn from that. So we hope you can be with us Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning for that. And then in these lessons, we want to talk about the overall theme of all in. What would it look like if we were all in regarding our faith, if we all had kind of a a Saul on the road to Damascus moment where we decided, you know what, I'm not going to be on the periphery anymore, I'm not going to stand on, I am going to be completely and totally all in, in my faith and in my service to God and in my service in the kingdom of God. What would that look like? That's what we want to talk about. And we want to begin this morning by talking, as you can see on the screen, about guarding the trust. And we'll tell you what that means in just in just a minute. You know, advertisers spend an absolute fortune trying to get their particular slogan ingrained in our mind, and it works, doesn't it? They spend millions of dollars and hundreds of man hours coming up with these slogans, and they are. They work. They stay with us. And so, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And with good insurance, why, with Nike, you can just do it. And after you've worked out, why, America runs on Duncan, and so maybe you want to go there. And when you get there, they're going to ask, What's in your wallet? And that can just go on and on and on because those things get ingrained in our mind. I think maybe if the Apostle Paul had tried to come up with a slogan for Christians in the first century, maybe it would have been this, shields up, shields up. Now, not there was a Star Trek episode by that name, but that's not what we're talking about. We're saying that Paul made it very clear that there are some things that Christians 
need to defend. In fact, four times, four times with his young protege Timothy, Paul would say to him, you've got to guard something. Here is something that you've got to guard and defend and protect. And we understand that, don't we? We understand about the word guard. We understand that there are security guards and prison guards and there are mouth guards and there are guard rails on our roads and there are rail guards on bunk beds. And we understand that in basketball, you have to guard the ball. In football, linemen have to guard the quarterback. And in finance, a broker has to guard the investment of his clients. And so we understand this concept of guard. But here's what Paul said about that. I want you to retain the standard of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love in Christ Jesus. And look at this. Guard. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. So, whatever it is that God's entrusted to us, He describes it as treasure. Why? Well, because it comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And so, whatever God gives us, it's treasure. And I want you to notice that He says, this has been entrusted to you. When something's entrusted to us, we really don't own it, do we? We understand that if somebody entrusts something to us, that we're a caretaker of that, right? And so, if you... uh, if you go on vacation and you have somebody who's going to house set for you, they're going to watch your house, and you come home from vacation and they've put a for sale sign in your yard, you're not going to be happy about that. Why? Because it's not theirs. It's not theirs to do. It's not their house. They just in, you just entrusted it to them. Or you go on vacation and you've got a dog, and somebody's going to, they're going to take care of your dog while you're on vacation, and you come back from vacation and you say, hey, where, where's my dog? And they say, well, you know what? Your dog annoyed me, so I sold it. Well, you're not going to be very happy about that because it wasn't their place to do that. You had entrusted that to them. They did not own that. So God has entrusted something that can be described as treasure, and He's given us to that to, Paul says, to guard. Now, before we talk about what that is exactly, let me tell you, maybe we ought to spend just a minute talking about what is not. What is not our, what God has not given us. Let me tell you three things God's not given us. Number one, He's not given us the prerogative of running the universe. That is not my job. That's not your job. Now, we've all known some people who would do well to go over here to a community college and take a course in astronomy so they could figure out that the world doesn't revolve around them. We've all known some people like that. But that is not our prerogative. That is not our place. That's God's. And so God has not given us the job of running the universe. Secondly, God has not given us the job of revealing right and wrong. Why not? Because that is not ours. It is not our place to do that. In fact, Jesus promised the apostles that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. And Peter said that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And when Paul would write Timothy about that, he said all Scripture has been given by God so that men and women of God can be complete. We can be fully equipped to everything that God wants us to do. Think about that. All Scripture, all things, all truth. And so that prerogative belongs to God. It's not mine to try to reveal Bible version 2.0. That's not my job. And third, it's not my job to decide your eternal destinies. I don't get to do that. Only God can do that. I might have an opinion about that, but it's not my place. It's not my prerogative. That belongs to God. So maybe we need to understand that first of all. That God has not entrusted us with running the universe, deciding eternal destinies, or revealing right and wrong. So, what has He given us? 
the prerogative to do. Well, there is something that Paul points out to Timothy. And he says, this is treasure given you by God. Look at this. I want you to hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast. New translations say guard. Some say defend. But that's the idea, isn't it? Where Paul says, I want you to guard sound words, faith, and love. I want you to underscore those in your mind. We're given by God the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility of guarding sound words, faith, and love. Sound words, faith, and love. Now here's what I want to ask you this morning, ladies and gentlemen. What do we have as New Testament Christians that is an outgrowth, that is a byproduct of sound words, faith, and love? What grows out of sound words, faith, and love that we have to defend? Let me suggest three things to you, and then we're going to go to Galatians. Here are three things that grow out of that. Number one is this church family. This church family is a byproduct of the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith, and love. And Paul says you've got to guard that. Don't miss that. Your responsibility is to guard this church family as an outgrowth of the gospel and faith and love. And what I mean by that is, it is your responsibility to make sure that this church family remains faithful and loyal to God. True to the book and faithful to God. I want you to take just a minute and uh, look around this building a little bit. I, go ahead and physically do that. Just look around this room a little Now, some of you are doing that because you're daydreaming, but that's okay. Just go ahead and look around the room a little bit because I want to ask you a question. Let's suppose... Let's suppose that for some reason the decision was made that you were going to sell this building. What would it, what would it then be used for? Say, well, maybe it'd be maybe an auto garage. No, probably not. It's not laid out that way. Well, maybe a restaurant. No, probably not. Not really laid out that way. Well, how about a bank? Well, no, probably not a bank either. What would it be used for? It would probably be used for another church. I mean, probably it would be used for another church. The chances are really good, ladies and gentlemen, that in your generation or my generation, probably in this building, there will always be a church of some kind meeting here. The question is, will it be a church that is loyal and faithful to the Lord and faithful to the Lord's work? And so for this church belonging to Christ, this church of Christ, the question always is going to be, is it loyal to the Lord and is it faithful to the Lord's work? That's a fair question. Because in Revelation 2 and 3, we read Jesus writing to His people, His churches, and He talks about some, and He says, you're lukewarm. Or some, He said, you have a great reputation, but in reality, you're dead. Or in some of them, He said, you're tolerating false people and false teaching. Well, whose job is it, ladies and gentlemen, to make sure that that doesn't happen here? You say, well, it's a shepherd's job. That's exactly right. Shepherds are commissioned by God to feed and lead, but also to protect the flock. And so it's the shepherd's job. But let me tell you also, it is your job. A church is, I've said this a thousand times at Temple Terrace, a church is as her members are. And so if you want a friendly church, you've got to have friendly members. And if you want a faithful church, a church that is faithful to the Lord and loyal to His Word, you've got to have members that are faithful to the Lord and loyal to His Word. And so that's your job. 
There's never going to be an outside agency come in here and audit the church spiritually and give a report to your shepherds and say, look, here's what we see. Here are the good things. Here are the bad things. Here's where you need to be careful. That's not going to happen. This is our job. That's an important job in 2022. Did you see on the news last fall, ladies and gentlemen, that at Harvard University, the organization of chaplains elected a new president. So the, the organization chaplains at Harvard University last fall elected a new president to oversee the 40 chaplains who represent all the religious groups on the Harvard campus. Everything from Buddhism to Judaism to Christianity and everything in between. Why was that newsworthy? Well, because the new president of the organization of chaplains at Harvard is an atheist. He is an avowed atheist. And yet he was elected unanimously by the chaplains who compose that organization. And when I read that, I thought, you know, isn't that emblematic of the world in which we live and where we are as a society, that really nothing is concrete? And nothing is really right or wrong. And nothing truly matters. And nothing really is set in stone. And we've got to be careful, ladies and gentlemen, that we never allow that mindset to infiltrate our churches. So again, the question is, who's going to keep that from happening here? Well, that has to be you. Because again, a church is, as our members are. Secondly, what's an outgrowth of the gospel, faith, and love? Secondly, is not just your church family, but your physical family. Your physical family is an outgrowth of the gospel and faith and love. And your responsibility to guard and defend and protect that is to do everything within your power to make sure that everyone in your physical family makes it to heaven. To make sure that the little ones in your family, and the not-so-little ones as well, that they remain loyal to the Lord. Again, nobody's going to do that for you. Nobody else will do that but you. And so think about that with your children, with your grandchildren. Our children and grandchildren, when they go to school, they're going to be exposed to some things that we prefer really they not be exposed to. They will hear things and see things that we would really prefer they not hear or see. And just watching television in our home, our kids and grandsons will be exposed to some things that we, we prefer not. And so who's going to help them have perspective about that? and maintain an understanding of what's right and wrong and what pleases God and what does not. Well, that has to be us. Nobody else is going to do that except moms and dads and grandparents. And so that's our responsibility. Let me tell you three areas where that's really important. Number one, that means you've got to fight for your family. That means as parents and grandparents, you've got to fight for your family. You know why? Because nobody else will. Not the government, not the media. Nobody else will. You've got to fight for your family spiritually. And secondly, that means that you've got to model respect for authority for your children and grandchildren. Why? Because nobody else will. We are living in a day, ladies and gentlemen, where we seem as Americans determined, absolutely determined, to live out the Old Testament phenomenon where every man simply did that which was right in his own eyes. And we defy anybody to challenge us about that or correct us about that. You've got to be the one, ladies and gentlemen, to model respect for authority for your children and grandchildren. Because if you want them to obey and to honor the authority of God later in life, it's got to be taught to them in the days of their youth. To respect the authority of you as a mom and dad. 
and the authority of grandparents, and the authority of church leaders, and the authority of policemen, and the authority of teachers, and the authority of principals, the authority of those who have a right to be in a position of authority in our world. If you don't teach them that, nobody else will. And third, we've got to teach them to value character over performance. Why? Because nobody else will. That's so important. Because everything, for our children and grandchildren, Do we understand, ladies and gentlemen, for our children and grandchildren, the world is going to tell them that their value, that what makes them important, is basically based on four things. How they look in the mirror, how beautiful or handsome they are, what their GPA is, how intelligent they are, how many points that they can score in an athletic competition, or fourth, fourth, how much money they have in their pocket. Those four criteria. You say, well, those are just superficial things, Don. Well, they are. But I'll tell you, every young person, your children and grandchildren, they're all judged by those superficialities. We've got to be the ones, as parents and grandparents, to teach them that they are of value simply because they are made in the image of God. And they have a soul that is going to outlive them. And so we've got to teach them that when all is said and done, that's what truly matters. And so we've got to guard not only our church family, but our physical family. And then third, I would say we've got to make sure that we guard ourselves. Our eternal soul. Why? Because nobody else is going to do that for you. Nobody else is going to do that for you. I realize, don't misunderstand me this morning. I realize that others have a part. I know that our parents play a part in that. Grandparents play a part in that. And I know that our church family plays a part in that. And our fellowship plays a part in that. But when all is said and done, Salvation eternally is the most individual that matters. What did the Bible say? You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. So who's going to remind you to model your character after Jesus? Or to watch your speech? Or to to pray or to be generous? Or to watch your words? Well, we have to do that ourselves. This is entrusted to you. God is an outgrowth of the gospel and faith and love has given us a church family, wonderful church family here, and a physical family that we love, and then our own eternal soul. And we've got to make sure, ladies and gentlemen, that we guard that, that we put some protection around that and defend what God has given us. How do we do that? Do you have your Bible this morning? I want us to go to the book of Galatians. You thought I forgot about that, didn't you? I want us to go to the book of Galatians. And I love this in this context because the Galatians, when you read this book, they clearly had been through some difficult times. In fact, Paul would say, look, I am, I am amazed that some of you have gone through this circumstance and you were so soon departed from your faith. We've all kind of seen that in our churches coming out of COVID, haven't we? And so these were people who had gone through some difficult times. And as they navigate their way out of that, Paul writes to them and he says, you know what, I think you want to do better. And I know that you can be spiritually better and richer and deeper. And so can we. So here's what I'd like to do in the minutes that we have left. I'd like very simply to just look at a verse out of each of the six chapters. And we're not going to talk about them much. But there's a principle in each of them that I think if we could just, if we could incorporate in 2022, if we could grasp, it would help us as we guard the gospel and faith and love as it relates to our church family, our physical family, and our eternal soul. So, let's take a look at this one book 
six verses really quickly, and then the lesson's yours. Here's lesson number one from chapter number one. You have the approval of God. You don't need the approval of others. Now, we all want the approval of others. That'd be nice if we could have it. But you don't have to pander for it. And you certainly don't have to compromise your faith to have the approval of others. Here's our verse. Do you have your Bible? Galatians 1, beginning in verse 10. Here's what it says. Do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? If I pleased men still, I would not be the bondservant of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. I have the approval of God, and so I don't have to seek the approval of men. I certainly do not have to compromise my faith to have the approval of men. You can have the approval of God. Have you ever thought about that, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus, in, those, in that triad of parables in Matthew 25, He says in them, look, God can say to you, well done. Have you ever thought about that? You have the ability to please God, for Him to look at you and say, you have done well. Look at what Paul said to Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Well, what kind of a worker at the end of a week can accept his paycheck and not be ashamed? Well, one that's done his work well. What kind of a Christian can stand before God without fear, without shame? Well, it's one who has done his work well, who has guarded the gospel in faith and love, who has acquitted himself well in the eyes of God. All of us can do that, ladies and gentlemen. All of us can behave in just a way that that can be us. Ah, people will do, people will do crazy things to gate the approval of man, won't they? When we were young, we did a lot of dangerous things. A lot of times when people are older, they'll do immoral things to get the approval of man. We just don't have to do that. I love reading the Bible stories about Noah. Noah who found favor in the eyes of God, and David who found favor in the eyes of God, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, whom the Bible said not only found favor, but was highly favored by God. I love all of those stories because they just remind us that we can be pleasing to God. Now listen to me carefully. Maybe you're listening to that. Maybe you're listening to that this morning and you say, you know what, Don, that would be nice, but I don't have anybody speaking that way into my life. I don't have anybody telling me that, that, I'm, that I'm doing well pleasing God or that I'm just doing well as a Christian or that I'm just even doing well as a person. I don't have anybody speaking that way into my life. I'm sorry if that's the case. But can I give you something to remember? If that's you this morning, could you just remember this? Criticism from those who know you least pales in comparison to love from those who know you best. And you know who knows you best, ladies and gentlemen? Your Father in heaven. Don't ever forget that. You have the approval of God. You certainly do not have to pander to have the approval of man. Number two. In chapter 2, we learn this simple principle. What happened in the past is in the past. you have your Bible? Galatians 2, beginning in verse 20. Familiar territory here. Galatians 2 and 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Listen to what Paul says. I am changed. I am redeemed. I'm not living in the past anymore. It's almost as if he's saying, look... Don't be throwing up my past. I know I've got a past. We all have a past. And he says, in essence, look, don't be reminding me of my past. Because if any man's in Christ, he is the new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. That's an important thing, isn't it? Can you imagine imagine selling a house to somebody? And uh, you sell it, and 20 years later they call you and say, Hey, listen, this house you sold me, it needs a new roof. 
How are you going to respond to that? Well, I'm going to say, I'm sorry for that, and the Lord bless you and keep you. But that's not my problem. Sold that house 20 years ago, not my house, don't live there anymore. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be talking to me about my past. My past is over and done. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. In fact, listen to how he phrased that. If anyone is in Christ, the old things have passed away, all things have become new. And he said, brethren, listen, forgetting the things that are behind, I'm trying to reach forward to things that are ahead. There's so many individuals who are paralyzed by their past, either because they themselves can't let go, or others will not let them let go. Neither one of those should be the case. If you are a Christian, when you were buried in Christ in baptism, you rose to walk, what was it? In newness, newness of life. Chapter 3, here's the principle. Your value is based on who you are, not what you have. Do you have your Bible? Galatians 3, beginning in verse 26. Here's the reading. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to that. Listen to what he said. You are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ to put on Christ, there is no more Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ. Listen to him carefully. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Look at verse 26. You are children, sons and daughters of God. Look at verse 29. You are heirs according to the promise. The point of that is, ladies and gentlemen, that your value is not based on what you have. It is based on who you are as a child of God who has an inheritance because you are a child of God. It's so very important to understand. You know, remember those individuals to whom this was written, many of them were slaves. They didn't own anything. In fact, they were owned. But he says, look, even in that circumstance, understand your value. Your value is that you have an inheritance. What did God say? I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. And because of that, because we were adopted into the family of God, we're His children. It's, as it were, He says, you have an inheritance. That is, your name was put in the will. And so, regardless of, of what you have or don't have in this world, understand your value. Chapter 4 teaches us this. You know God, <clears throat> and God knows you. Important consideration. Here's our verse. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Do you have your Bible? Here it is. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you return again to the weak and beggarly elements, desiring again to be enslaved to them? It is the first two lines of that that we're interested in. When he says, look, you have known God, but more importantly, God knows you. I want to ask you this morning, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the fact that God knows you. I want to ask you, most of you, I would imagine, are like me. We grew up in this city. We grew up going to church, as we are wont to say. I want to ask you, when you were growing up, did you ever have an all-time least favorite hymn? I mean, did you ever have a hymn that, <clears throat> when the number was announced and you opened the book, you thought, oh, man. Did you ever have a song you just didn't like? I did. I had one hymn that we sang in our churches. We don't, we don't, ever sing it now and i'm kind of glad of that now 
if this is our closing song today, you just destroyed my illustration here. But when I was growing up, here was my all-time least favorite song among our churches. There's an all-seeing eye watching you. Every step that you take, this great eye is awake watching you. That song creeped me out to no end. And I think it's because we've all innately kind of thought, you know what, if God really knew me, he probably wouldn't like me very much. But the fact of the matter is that he does know you. And he does like you. He loves you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your weaknesses. He knows how you try to overcome your weaknesses. He knows when you fail with your weaknesses. And He knows when you get back on your feet and determine and promise Him, you know what, God, I'm going to do better next time. He knows all of that. And so the fact is, you know God, and God knows you. Why keep what's been entrusted to you? Because you are not alone in this. Don't miss that, ladies and gentlemen. You're not alone alone. Listen to what God said through the book of Isaiah. He said, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have compassion on the son of his womb? Let me stop there just a minute. You know, God is saying, you know what? A mama never stops loving her child. That child can break their mother's heart into a thousand pieces and that mother will never stop loving that child. But God uses that as a hypothetical and he said, but, but even if that should happen, even if that impossibility should happen, look at what he says. I will not forget you. You are not in this alone. You know God, and God knows you. Chapter 5. Here's the principle from chapter 5. Your steps are directed by God, not your feeling. That's important. Do you have your Bible? Chapter 5. Look at verse 25 with me. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, that's not the first time he said that in chapter 5. Look at verse 18. In verse 18, you are led by the Spirit and therefore not under the law. And that's not the only time he said it either. Look at verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Think about the terminology. Live in the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. What is Paul saying in that? He is saying, look, we are not guided and directed simply by our feelings and emotions. We are directed by the revelation of God. The Holy Spirit of God who has given us God's divine word. We are led in a way so that our steps can be secure. Our feelings get us in trouble spiritually. I want to tell you, in 21st century America, in modern religion, thought, feelings are everything. How do you feel about that? It becomes the criteria of right and wrong in so many circles. And yet the Bible is pretty clear about that. There is a way that seems, there's a way that feels right to people. But its end is the way of death. Why? Because oftentimes those feelings and God's will don't, don't align each other. And so, <clears throat> we are directed by the Word of God. The Word of God is precise and accurate and clear. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible, Psalm 119, the beginning of verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You ever thought about that? Your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He's talking about two different things there about the word of God. Your word's a lamp to my feet. We would use the word flashlight. God, because if you're walking at night and you're going over some territory that you're not familiar with and it's uneven, what do you do? You get a flashlight. And what do you do? You shine it down at your feet. And you, that way you know step by step. You know each step to take. God's word sometimes does that for us. 
God's word sometimes is really clear. That step is wrong. Don't take that step. You take that step, bad things happen. Take that step, another step, different direction, good things will come your way. God's word sometimes directs our steps. But sometimes God's word is a light into our path. Sometimes God's word is like headlights on our car. And it shows us the big picture. And God's word does that for us. There are a lot of places where God's word talks to us about the big picture of life and faith and family and church and what that can look like. And so it guides us in both of those ways. What a wonderful thing. Your steps are directed by God, not your feelings. Sixth and finally, we'll be finished this morning. Principle number six, what you're doing to the kingdom is seen in heaven. And it's a blessing on earth. Don't miss that. What you're doing in the kingdom is, is, is <clears throat> seen in heaven, a blessing on earth. Here's our verse. Galatians 6, beginning in verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we shall weep if we do not lose heart. Therefore, 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 as we have opportunity, let's do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Think about that. What you're doing in the kingdom is seen in heaven and is a blessing on earth. You know, Jesus talked about that in Matthew 10 and verse 42. When he said, whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, he will by no means lose his reward. We need to understand that. You know, Paul writes to these Christians and he says, look, <clears throat> you, want to, you want to guard the gospel in faith and love? You're going to have to do that in community. You'll do it with your church family and your physical family. And that means, he says in Galatians 6 and 9, as you have opportunity, do good to all, but especially, especially, especially in those relationships that are the absolute closest to you. Sometimes I think we excuse ourselves by saying, well, you know what, there's not much that I can do. No, but you can do something. Because look at the terminology that Jesus used. Whoever gives, what did he say? A cup of cold water. He didn't say, he did not say, you need to buy a case of water for somebody. You need to rent a water truck. You need to pay somebody's water bill. He said, look, what you need to do is give a glass of cold water. Just find what it is that you can do. What do you have the ability, number one, and the opportunity, number two, so that those two things go together. And when you do that, he says, God notices that. It makes a difference on earth, and it's noticed by God. All of that, ladies and gentlemen, all of that, those six statements, they guard against the worldview. They guard against the worldview that is presented by our adversary, the devil. Think about it. The devil says, look, unless you have a great following, you're a nobody. God says, that's not true. That's not true. You don't have to please me. You don't have to pander to men. The devil says, you can't escape your past. That's not what Paul said, not what God said. The devil says, you are nothing. Unless you own the best, you've traveled to the most exotic. And that's what God, God says, no, no, no. You are of value because you're a child of God and you have an inheritance with him. The devil says, your God can't help you. And God says, I can help you every step of the way. The, the world says, you, you have to do whatever your heart tells you. Whatever feels good to you, that's what you've got to do. And God said, no, sir, you don't have to do that at all. I, I've given you a word to guide and direct your steps. And if you follow them, they'll take you to heaven. And the devil says, why on earth would you want to do something for someone who may not be able to do something in return for you? And God says, because it's the right thing to do, because it's noticed in heaven, and it makes a difference in the lives of others. What an amazing, 
amazing book that is. Again, shields up. You've got to guard and defend and protect the gospel and faith and love as they are seen in your church family, your physical family, and in yourself, your eternal soul. Why? Because nobody else will do that for you. And when you do that, it brings life. You know, I think one of the most critical verses in the book of Galatians is what we read a moment ago in Galatians 2 and 20, where Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And what did he say? It is no longer I who live, but the life that I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave His life for me. Because the New Testament is a book all about life. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, when we are baptized into Christ, what does the text say? We rise to walk in newness of what? Life. And maybe that's your need this morning. Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ. Maybe you got up today and said, you know what, today's the day. Today's the day that I'm going to do what I know that I need to do and have known I need to do for a long time. If that's you today, and you need to be baptized into Christ, or if you need to come home to your Father so that you, as His child, can have the inheritance that He promised you as an assurance of yours again. If that's you today, and there's a response to God that you need to make in a public way, and we can help you. We hope you'll let us. Let's stand and let's sing.